Hey everybody, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast Q&A format. I'm here with the Muscle Maven. What's up, Ash? Not too much. I'm doing good. I really like that intro. I kind of sound a little tough when you say it. It sounds better than when I say Muscle Maven, so I appreciate that. I was going to do my best Bruce Buffer impersonation, but I thought <laughs> yes. I'd, I'd wait till the next one. <laughs> oh man, that's actually my goal in life is to have like that kind of intro whenever I walk into a room, like Bruce Buffer <laughs> say my right. name. Have we talked Fair about like, what your intro song would be if you were like a UFC fighter. We gotten into that. Yeah, you did ask me. You asked me this, but we, you never dug it up. It's Pharaoh Monch, which is right. uh, it was one of my favorite songs when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe like university. It's just so deep and dark and menacing. And that was just so good for an entry song. Okay, I need be to like, look that one up. I'm about to come fuck you up. Is yeah, what that song says. sweet. Okay, I'm going to look it up. All right, that's good. I can probably find it. I can probably play it here on my phone while you pull up the yeah, next question. You do that while I ask you a question that is very timely because when this podcast comes out, it's going to be Halloween week. Very exciting for everyone. How do you guys celebrate Halloween? Like, are you like kids eat all the candy you want for this one day or you no, 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 no. That's a good question. No, we don't. <laughs> Damn it. I thought you just like let people <laughs> eat peanut butter cups just for one day. No, I, I just don't think it's, Listen, I'm not against peanut butter cups at their core, right? What I'm against is what they represent. When I give children a quote-unquote treat or when I give them this, it's just not part of what we do. It's not part of what culture. And I think when kids get you know this opportunity, I guess, to eat junk food, it just becomes part of their coping mechanism or part of their celebration mechanism. It's it's what it represents. Like, I don't give a shit if you eat sugar or you eat a donut. Like, that's not the essence. But as a child, they're forming their worldview right now. So like, if I say, hey, son, we're going to have a daddy Sunday today. And while we're out there, we're going to stop and get donuts. He's starting to create joy around donuts, not around the connection he's having with me. And so the same, that's, I just try to avoid that stuff, man. I don't want to buy them gifts. I don't want to give them sugar because it's an association that creates their joy that isn't a personal relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's so true. As much from somebody who loves eating sugar as much as I do, like it's such a good point that it's really problematic to associate garbage food with reward. You know, like there are so many other better ways you can reward yourself, but it's just so easy, right? It's just so easy. And it's like that immediate gratification. It just works so well. So I get why people do it, even if it's not ideal. Totally. And honestly, like, you know, kids get sad and, you know, whether or not it's your fault as a parent or someone else's doesn't really matter. Your job is, or your goal as your parent is like, I want my kids to always be smiling. And it's so easy to go, well, I know my son will smile if I give him this donut or if I give him this cookie or if I give him this candy bar. And it's that temporary gratification you get as a parent feeling like, oh, I'm a good parent because I did this. But in reality, it's really not. So giving them your time and your love and your attention to bring up their happiness is so much more rewarding for you and for them long term, right? It's just not as quick. And so I've been really doing that lately a lot with my kids. It's like when they're down, I'll stop whatever I'm doing and I'll sit with them. And even if it's not like, you know, the first thing is, you know, sweetheart, is there anything I can do? Or it's like, hey, you want to talk? And if the answer is no... That's okay. I'm not going to pry. I'm not going to ask anymore. I just sit with them and hold space. And I just like, you know, let them know that they're loved and let them know whatever they're going through is okay. And, you know, I'll hug them and I'll hold them. And it sounds, you know, super cheesy, but that's it. And then you'll see five minutes later, their energy's through the roof because you're just holding that happy, loving, caring place for them. And all of a sudden now their energy is completely shifted from, you know, where they were down for whatever reason uh, now to a higher place. I feel like that works really well with adult relationships too. And like you said, it, it's not cheesy. Maybe it sounds cheesy, but it's not. Like that's way less cheesy than being like, oh, you feel like shit? Have some chocolate. That'll fix it. Right. You know? Okay, yeah, so what actually, do you give out at, on Halloween then? Creatine? Well, we give, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do give candy. So here's what we do. 
kids go out around the neighborhood and they play with their friends and they collect candy. They're allowed to have three pieces while they're walking and three pieces when they get home. And that's it. And the rest of it, they give to the switch, witch, which is this amazing, wonderful woman that comes to our house in the middle of the night, takes all the candy and leaves them their favorite toy. So that's the switch, witch. That's and they're amazing. All, they're all cool with that. They're all cool with that. So, and the switch, which obviously is Amanda, and she eats all the candy and gives the kids the toys. That is so <laughs> smart. I have never heard of that before. But it's also like that you're teaching your kids like kind of negotiation and value and stuff too. It's like, well, what's sure. more important? Like this candy that you're going to eat and that's going to be gone immediately or this toy you really want? Like, let's let's talk about it. I love that. Right. So do you dress up? I have. I wasn't planning on it this year. Um yeah, I have in the past, but nothing cool. Like I, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of like putting a whole bunch of body makeup on my body. And like, I don't know, I, I'm so honestly kind of, I'm trying to figure myself out with this. Ash, I should actually love your perspective. It's like, I'm really not into your standard holidays, man. Like I can't get into Halloween at all. I can't get into Valentine's day. I can't even get into Christmas in as much as it's this Americanized merchandising holiday, right? Like I love the spiritual aspect. I love the celebration of family, but I despise the material aspect. Like it almost rubs me the wrong way to drive around and watch people with all these lights up and all these presents that are just being purchased incessantly. Like, it's, I don't know why. And this is the one of the first time I've talked about this, to be honest, but like, I honestly just despise typical holidays because of what they've come to represent. And I'm trying to understand why I feel this way because, you know, it's not about what it should be, right? I mean, obviously Halloween is a contrived holiday to make people buy more sugar, but I don't know. Christmas to me shouldn't be about how many gifts can you get or, you know, it, it's so it's frustrating to me. And I see all these you know, people who are just so bought into, I want to have the most lit up house on the street so I can consume more electricity. And I don't know, I don't see the appeal unless I'm just missing something. Yeah. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. I mean, you have a very low level of patience for bullshit and for things that don't add to people's lives. And also, I think that you're somebody who likes- It just seems like a farce, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think you are somebody who likes to face whatever is happening in life or whatever is going on around you like head on, right? And a lot of people use things like these holidays or anything really um, to sort of cover up for something else, right? Like, let's have the brightest house on the block because we don't actually want to you know, well, I want to be outside putting lights up because I don't, yeah, I don't want to like think about what's going on at home or whatever. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but I think that a lot of people kind of create images of what they want their life to be rather than what it actually is. And a lot of this stuff is fake and it's put on and it's not necessarily healthy and it contributes to consumer culture that isn't ideal. Like totally get it. But that's why, you know, instead of letting it make you irritated, you just make it what you want to make it, which is I think probably what you do anyway, right? Like if you don't have any patience for the extra fake bullshit put on stuff, then you just make the holiday what it is, which is spending time with your family and being present and being there, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a challenge when everyone around me doesn't see eye to eye, right? That's certainly um, a challenge, but like, it is what it is, man. Like I'm I'm making my kids see it the way I think they should see it. And we're just learning to appreciate life and appreciate, you know, the day and appreciate their family and and people who bring things to their lives and helping other people. I do that every day, right? I, I don't think I need Christmas to celebrate that. And obviously we're not religious, so it's not celebrating, you know, anything particularly religious. It's just the celebration of life and you know, that. So I really focus on that myself and what everyone else puts into their head. Hopefully they're they're wise enough to make their own decisions when they're older. 
Yeah. And I think that's the key too, is like not letting it either get you worked up or like if kids want to go out and do their silly Halloween stuff and it's a total Hallmark holiday that's made up, then, you know, and at school for Valentine's Day when they do all their ridiculous, like put on stuff for Valentine's Day and it's again, a Hallmark holiday, like it's fine, you know, because you're teaching the values that you want to teach at home. And if you don't put too much stock in these fake things, they won't either, but like, let them have a little bit of fun if they want. And if your friends are over the top about Christmas, like it is what it is. Like we are as the healthy people, we're like the no fun friends anyway. Like you, that's what it is. You're just used to it, right? Like yeah. I already have friends when they come over, when we go over to dinner, they're always like, okay, well, you know, this might have gluten in it or I'm sorry, we have a dessert. Like, is that okay? I'm like, dude, I don't, first of all, I'm not that anal, but second of all, I don't care. People can enjoy their life how they want to enjoy it. Like I'm not that much of a buzzkill. Like feed me cake sometimes. I'll eat it. It's fine. It's just, I try to live my life a certain way and I'm not going to apologize for it. Just like you shouldn't apologize for it how you live your life. Like we, you know, we're all here for a short time. Do what you want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, Dress up for Halloween. I'm very recently very opinionated on these Americanized holidays, man. It's just so frustrating and sad almost to watch these people who are just blind and they're just completely manipulated yet they think they're doing something right by buying all this crap. And yeah. it's just unbelievable, man. It's the zoo humans, right? It's crazy. Yep. And again, like that is a really insidious, uh, like that instant gratification because nothing, like it gives you that dopamine hit. Like you just buy something, you buy something to decorate your house, you buy some treats, you buy something to bring to a dinner party, you buy your kid like a third Halloween costume. Like I get how that feels. Like you get this little burst of like energy and I'm connecting, I'm interacting and I'm doing something and I'm part of this holiday. Like I get it. It's a lot harder work to just kind of like sit inside and think about like, how do I, what do I really want to accomplish with this holiday? Like, do I want to reach out to family members maybe that I haven't talked to? Do I want to go have like an uncomfortable conversation with like extended family? Do I want to just sit here with my kids and teach them what it's like to, you know, have a family that cares and wants to be present with them? Like there's, it's a lot more work than just going out and buying some shitty stuff and decorating your house. Here's my perspective on it. We have people who are going to be saying, well, I really like Halloween and I really like Christmas. And, and then the question becomes exactly what I said about the candy, buying kids candy for your kids, right? Is well, why do you like Halloween and Christmas? Is because your brain associates these really positive events from your childhood, probably because you were getting massive amounts of dopamine from the toys and the candy you got. So it wasn't really a happy time. It was this external thing that you receive. And now your brain associates those as being very positive times. So that's why most people go, oh, I, I really like it. And I want to go out and buy more of these things. And, you know, I, I want to bring that joy back into my life. So they're literally just seeking the external gratification at this extreme level without actually having the ability to create the internal happiness that should exist, right? That should exist when you wake up in the morning and you breathe and you say, God, I'm so grateful. And so for anyone listening who goes, oh, I really like Christmas and Halloween. And again, I'm not against it, but think about it. Why do you like Christmas and Halloween, right? Was it because that was the time of the year when you got the most dopamine and now your brain goes, oh, I'm so excited about Christmas. Why are you so excited about it? Because of what your brain associates it with or because you actually get to spend time with those that you love. And hopefully it's for great reasons. And if it's not, just start paying attention to it and start realizing that you can change and you can enjoy it for what it is. And I realized that it's very difficult for parents to one, question their beliefs, but two, start to create new traditions around things that actually matter, right? Most people are so mindless about their life that creating new traditions around things that matter to them is extremely, extremely far down the line, right? It's very far off their radar. So again, hopefully if you guys are listening, start challenging why those beliefs are there. And maybe just maybe you can create one small new tradition this year, which is around loving or giving or being together with family rather than taking and giving 
junk that, you know, gives people external gratification. Yeah, I love that. And this actually relates a lot to a question that you've been getting a fair bit on social media, which is around the um, like homeschooling that you guys do with your kids, because people are really, really curious about your approach to sort of education and bringing up your kids in general. Is that something you can kind of talk a little bit more about? Yeah, I'd love to. Man, I get so much perspective on parenting lately because I talk about it a lot and I know it's nothing to do with muscle, but we'll get through this quick. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, you know, typical schooling is teaching kids how to think in a box, right? Like you have to be so constrained in your endeavor to get acceptance, right? So school literally is about, I'm trying to get acceptance from my teachers, from my parents, from whomever. So I do what I need to do to get this A, which is just the highest level of acceptance and the highest level of ultimately brown nosing, right? I want people around me to like me. I want my parents to like, or the teachers to like me. And it's not even really teaching anything to these children, right? So you're getting 30 kids in a class, teaching them all the exact same thing, which is ludicrous in and of itself. So again, that's my perspective on what's happening within the school. As far as what we do, well, actually, I think I told you, Ash, my kids are in school this year because of some things that are happening in my life. It was the best decision for us and for them to put them into school for one year. And we're going to pull them back up next year. And I'm going to be doing the homeschooling. But here's my approach. It's so simple. It's literally like, sweetheart, what do you want to learn this week? So we sit down on Sunday for 30 minutes. What do you want to learn this week? And they can come up with anything. They can learn about anything they want. Sometimes it's like, hey, I want to learn about the lights. I want to learn about electricity. I want to learn about rocks. I want to learn about the sun. Like literally they'll come up with the most interesting things. And your job as a parent is to facilitate that with many different mediums, right? So you know, I want to involve their visual system, their auditory system, their tactile system, their kinesthetic system. So I'm trying to involve all of these systems somehow. So if we decide today we're going to learn about the sun, Okay, well, maybe we're going to look up the phases of the sun and, and, you know, what the sun is made of and the relative size. And we're going to go on YouTube and we're going to do that. And then maybe we're going to go take this information we learned on YouTube and we're going to read a short book about the sun. And then we're going to read about, I don't know, all of the stars and why the sun is one of these stars. And then we'll take it outside and actually watch the sun as it goes to the sky. So we're, we're involving all of their learning systems. And that may be a whole week, right? But so rather than getting 15 minutes of surface level education on something, they're getting, you know, a multi-leveled, multi-tiered education on this thing. So literally like it's first we're going to learn the basics, then we're going to go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. And so they're building deep level information, relatively deep level understanding about this, whatever it happens to be. At the end of the week, they may write, or maybe it's once a month or once a week, they're going to write a report on something they learned that week. So now they have to give me feedback on, they have to, to remember and recall all this information. So we've kind of just touched on all the basic learning systems. And so there may be weeks that go by where we don't do any math, or we don't do any you know geography or whatever they do in school. But when it comes down to do those things, it'll be such a deep dive that it'll be like almost like an immersion rather than, uh, hey, we're going to do like 15 minutes of this today and 15 minutes of this tomorrow, which for better or worse, I mean, there's certainly value in doing short incremental bursts in everything. And the only thing we do every day is math. Um, but other than that, like the reading happens kind of by accident. I'm not making them sit down to read most of the time, although I do as well. But it's like, hey, go read this on the internet. Go read this in this book about whatever we're learning on that week. And to me, I'm just a facilitator, right? They ask what they want to learn and I facilitate. And to me, we're harnessing curiosity because it's this um, kind of unraveling of learning rather than looking at one thing myopically and going, well, that's the sun. This is what it does. It's letting them look at all of the layers and peel away all of the layers so we can harness their curiosity. Here's why I do that. Ash, you can understand in the last 10 years, what's happened to our ability to access knowledge. It's 
exponential. It's, it's never going to be a lack of knowledge that's our problem. Our problem is our inability to synthesize and our lack of curiosity, right? So we can harness curiosity in children so that like they have such a, an endless desire to consume and learn and understand, they win. No question. So it's like child-led learning. Instead of telling yeah. them what they need to know, you're asking them what they want to learn about. Right. And that way, it's like, hey, Presley likes this, Benjamin likes that. We may do them together, we may not, but it's very different for each of the children. I think that just allows them to discover what they love. Like, yeah. I really like this, Dad. Can we do more of that? Yes. You know, rather than in school, they're sitting through six hours of nonsense that someone else has decided for them. I think it's a complete waste of time. It's literally glorified babysitting, right? That's Absolutely. literally all it is. So parents can go to school so, or can go to work. So yeah, my and I mean, it's a system that's problematic for a lot of reasons, but I mean, we're all trying our best, right? Like some parents don't have the option to homeschool and a oh. lot of teachers and a lot of schools, like their hearts are in the right place. They're trying to do the right thing, but they're very limited by their resources and by the time and by their own bandwidth trying to focus on specific kids or specific topics. I mean, they're really, I feel like a lot of times doing the best they can, but maybe one of the sure. things that people who are listening who have kids that have kids in traditional school systems can take from this is that when they're not in school, you can still approach learning the way that you're talking about. You can still ask them what they're interested in and do deep dives on specific topics that maybe you think like, oh, well, learning about the sun may not directly relate to the job that they're going to have when they're 25. But like, let's learn about it because they're interested. And let's like figure out new ways of learning and understanding the world um, through the things that they're interested in. And it's like, it's similar to... Where, um, where does the sun go, right? Yeah. So go ahead, finish. No, I was just going to say this book, right. this um, book by uh, Dave Epstein, I think, Range, they're talking about like yeah, people yeah. who have been really successful. They're not kids who generally, sometimes like this is a sort of an outlier, but they're not like the kids who from age three were told that they're going to be the next Tiger Woods and were completely focused on that. They were the kids who were encouraged to do a lot of different things, but to have choice within that. So it's not like you have to do violin and you have to do golf. It's like you have to play a sport and you have to play an instrument. Here are some options, pick one. And when they have that sort of autonomy and that ability to explore what they're interested in, instead of just being told what to do, that generally pays off better. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And again, like yeah. this unraveling learning that we talk about, right? Is this, if, so we talk about the sun, but there's so many layers that that could lead to, right? It's like, well, the sun is a star and look at all these other stars and what are stars made of? Well, they're made of gases. And what happens with these gases when they, they get harder? Well, they become, you know, elements and, you know, like taking them down, this exploitative learning is, you know, I, I think what's going to make them great human beings in the future or great learners or great employees or, or great leaders or whatever, right? Like who the hell remembers what they learned in first grade? Like nobody or second grade or third grade. And what you learn at that, at that time mm -hmm. doesn't matter. The objective is learning how to learn, right? Learning passion for learning and how to learn. But again, neither here nor there yes. for the conversation on the podcast. Well, I mean, I do think that maybe we're not talking about muscles for 10 minutes, but it's something that's important to a lot of the people who are listening because people have kids and people want the best for them and they want them to be healthy and happy in every way. And using your brain is a big part of that. I think one of the other things that's important about school, and we'll just, I'm just going to ask this question and then we'll move on. You said it's- well, before you ask a question, I want to speak just to what you just said right there. You yeah. said something, you said the word happy. It's the goal is for them to be happy. And that in and of itself is the lesson that most people should learn. So again, I live this life very often is you know, let's say, for example, we go out and we buy Christmas decorations and or Halloween decorations. And what's the goal of those Halloween decorations? Well, it's to make the kids happy and it's to make the kids enjoy this experience. Okay. So 
would it make sense that the kids are going to get in trouble for playing with them and putting them out of place or they're going to make a mess with them and they're going to break them? Would it make sense that the objective of these things is to make them happy so they should be allowed to play with them and do what they want with them? Like and so many parents are getting angry about you know, this event or like, are they getting stressed out about Halloween and Halloween costumes and oh, you're eating too much candy and you're, you're being bad and you're not going to go. And so they're turning this thing that they're saying is supposed to be about making the kids happy into the most stressful event of the year for the kids. And, you know, that's the Disneyland irony, right? It's like no kid in the world likes Disneyland. It's the most terrible place on earth for children because they have to wait. What is they have to wait in line for two hours everywhere they go. It's a thousand degrees. And basically the whole time your parents are going, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Stay here. Right. It's like, it's not marketed to children. It's marketed to parents. If you don't take your kids, you're, you're a bad parent. And that's, they know that, like, that's how they market. Right. And that's effectively what every holiday turns into for so many people is their attempt to, you know, quote unquote, make their kids happy turns into them yelling at their kids for doing everything that isn't meeting their expectation of what the day should be. So parents listening up there, like, again, questioning that too, is I'm so aware of like, man, anything that we're doing, like, the event itself isn't the goal. The goal is the happiness of the child or the goal is the the new skills they're developing, right? So yeah. I'm not going to be attached to what it looks like for me. I'm going to be attached to what the outcome is for them. That is so accurate. Disney is the worst. I love though, its motto is like the happiest place on earth or something. And it's like, yeah, no, right. it's hell for everyone involved, but you've spent $300 a day to go to it anyway. All right. We're, we're going off track. But the last question I just wanted to ask about like schooling and kids and stuff is like one of the things about public schools that is important is you said it's sort of like sometimes just a glorified babysitting service, but it's also about socialization, right? And a lot of people not saying that homeschooled kids don't get it, but it's a really, really crucial part of development when kids are young is to learn how to be away from their parents, how to interact with other people, how to deal with challenges and interpersonal issues. So what are some things that maybe you guys do to make sure that that's happening for your kids too, even when they're not in school? Well, so there's certainly still schooling programs for homeschoolers, right? You can still certainly drop them off at class and you can certainly send them to camp on the weekend. All my kids are in sports, so gymnastics and hockey and baseball and dance and you know theater and all, whatever they want to do, right? So there's still tons of social interaction. You know, I just think that you know, if anything, the only setback or the only thing holding people back from homeschooling is time. And I completely get that. Like, it's not possible for everyone to have the freedom to homeschool. So again, I, I don't think there's any social issues from what I've seen with all of my friends at homeschool, very, very little sociability concern, Okay, right? You get so much time to play with other homeschool kids, to play at the park with other kids, to, I get the maybe attachment to the parents thing. And I haven't been around long enough to see it, but there's no question they're getting a social activity. Mm-hmm. It's just about making the effort, like making the effort with everything else. Like if you keep oh. your kids inside on an iPad all day, that's what they're going to be into. You got to make them get out there just like we have to get off our iPads and get out into the world too. And I think the reality is most parents just want to break from their kids, right? Just like kids probably want to break from their parents. Parents want to break from the kids, man. It's hard to be around them all the time. Like it, they're just very busy. They're nonstop. They ask questions. Sometimes they're annoying as shit. It is what it is, right? Like, well, like they did. Yeah. Like they, they're just... It is. You know, that is yeah. what it is. And I get it. So, you know, giving your kids a break and send them off to school or giving you yourself a break and send them off to school. I get it. Okay. All right. We're going to switch. We're going to veer off into another topic right now, which is 
healthy eating on the road? Because you've been traveling a lot. You get this question a lot. And I'd like for you to just kind of start with like easy golden rules for people who veer off track. And I'm speaking for myself here very quickly when we travel. What are like your golden rules for travel that keep your nutrition on track? Sure. First, don't stay at a hotel. Stay at an Airbnb because hotels are going to have way too much easy access to food that's junky. It's not going to have a kitchen. It's not going to have a fridge. So you're going to have you're going to back yourself into a corner to having to go buy fast food or having to go buy snacks from the vending machine or whatever the hell you have to do. So benefit of Airbnb, I've got a full fridge. I've got a full kitchen. I can cook my meals. That's where it all starts. And Airbnbs are so readily accessible at, you know, usually less than what hotels are. Sometimes hotels are convenient and I'll only ever stay at a hotel if it's for like one night. If any longer than that, it's always going to be Airbnb. So that's step one. Step two, the first thing I do when I get off the plane, see if they go to the gym or I go straight to, you know, the equivalent of Whole Foods, the healthy grocery store that I can find, which I've usually researched in advance. And I'll often just intentionally book my Airbnb to be close to a, a healthy grocery store. So you know, if it's walking distance, there's my exercise for the day, right? I'll only buy enough food for the day and I'll walk to the store every day to obviously building exercise into my routine and then get all the healthy foods I need for the day. So what am I getting? I'm just getting such simple stuff, right? I'm getting fresh meat, fresh vegetables. Those are like the foundations of everything. I'm getting two to three green vegetables and two to three different types of meat. And then I'm going to get some good source of fat. And you know, my choice of fat is always olive oil. So I'm literally uh, <laughs> spent 45 minutes in Whole Foods in London three weeks ago trying to find the best olive oils. And I bought like two of, you know, ultimately what I thought were the best and ended up being such a letdown compared to stuff that I'm, you know, used to at home. I'm, I mean, I've had a ton of people sending me messages lately about having picked up the fresh press olive oil that I posted. And everyone goes, oh my goodness, this is the best thing I've ever had. I didn't know olive oil could be this good. Well, it's I'm true. just it's, amazed it's, you didn't have like a mini travel one in your pocket well, at do, all times. I do. When I'm gone for a month, yeah. I can't bring a whole suitcase. Yeah. I have like little, I think they're 500 mLs. Yeah. Um, and I do take one of those with me, but this was the second week that I was in London that I spent uh, a whole 45 minutes in the grocery trying to find something equivalent. So here's what we look for if we're in the grocery, or what I was looking for, is I wanted to find a pressing date. Like when do they actually press this stuff? And you can't find that on most things, right? Most of them are finding a best before date. And most of them are trying to say, hey, this olive oil won an award for blah, blah, blah. But if it's been sitting on the shelf for one to two years, it's going to be crappy no matter what. So I literally spent, I think, 50 or $60 on, I probably think it was $60 on two small bottles of olive oil. And they both ended up going in the trash because they just let me down, man. I was so um, spoiled to have fresh pressed, which is, you know, my go-to um, when I'm in North America. And then I'm going to buy some good quality uh, sea salt. I'm going to buy some typically Celtic sea salt, which has like a gray tint to it. I don't usually do a lot of the Himalayan anymore, or I'll sometimes bring Redmond sea salt with me. So the Himalayan, it's been, there's been a lot of places that have shown it's got a lot of microplastics in it. So I got rid of that out of my diet and now I only use Celtic or Redmond's. Sometimes I'll do coconut oil. Sometimes I'll do avocado and then I'll buy a whole bunch of water because water is often a big thing on the, on the road as well. So that's it. You know, my foundation of food is tons of vegetables, tons of meat, a little bit of fat and lots of water. And again, the big thing on the road is don't be afraid to miss meals, right? Like most people are their paradigm is I have to eat this many times a day. Well, you, you may not, right? If you're trying to build muscle, it's a different thing. You need to eat more often. But for average people, like eating any number of times a day 
doesn't have to be predetermined. So if you're busy, yeah, don't go out of your way to, oh, it's 12 o'clock, I have to eat lunch. So no matter where I am right now, I have to eat lunch. Like I'm very, I've become a food snob, right? Like if I'm not finding good quality food, I'm probably not eating. And sometimes I will, but usually it's like, I'm going to wait till I get home. So I know I can have my grass fed meat or my you know, organic chicken or whatever the hell I'm eating. And I eat less of it, but and make sure it's high quality. For most of us, this is something that I have taken from you and also just from like trying to sort out always feeling like shit when I travel. For most of us, even athletic people, like yeah, if you're actively bodybuilding or whatever, but for 99% of us, eating nothing is better than eating a shitty meal. And there's a lot of reasons for that too, right? It's not just because you might eat something that bloats you temporarily or whatever, but it could set up your whole digestion where you're suffering for a day afterwards or two days. It can do all kinds of things that just being a little bit hungry because you skipped lunch is not, it's not a big deal. But if you eat the airplane food because you're freaking out and have to have your third meal of the day, that could be a lot more problematic. So I think that is very useful for people to realize like you're not going to die and you're not going to lose all of your gains if you skip one crappy meal. Sure. And that's where the water and sodium comes in, right? Most people aren't usually hungry, they're thirsty and, and sodium is a really good way to keep you satiated, uh, keep your brain satiated, keep your muscles feeling full because most people start feeling physically flat because they think, oh, I'm getting flat. I need enough. It has nothing to do with that. It's water and sodium. So always making sure, usually when I start the day, I'm going to have sodium almost immediately. Sometimes I'll even put it in my coffee. Sometimes I'll have a little bit of bone broth, which has sodium in it, or mine does. Yeah. So that's a good way to start the day. Then I feel more saturated and my brain works better. Electrolytes are such a massive component of how you feel and function that I suggest everybody starts their day with some sodium and lots of water. Mm -hmm. And I think going back to the olive oil thing, we got to do this very, I'm super proud of my Segway game today, Segway on point. Fresh Pressed, which is your favorite olive oil you've been talking about for months or years, they are giving your listeners a discount, right? Sweet. Yeah, so I have it actually. I think they said, yeah, so they're going to give all of their their olive oil cost 39 bucks. They're going to give anybody who wants one a bottle for a dollar if they go to, it's getfresh35.com. And another thing that people should do, and I feel really strongly about this, is go to their website and read and learn because the amount of resources and information they have about choosing the best olive oil. I've never seen anything like it. Like I've nerded out on olive oil a little bit too. And this company goes above and beyond. Like the founder is the biggest olive oil nerd, like more than you, Ben, like crazy olive oil nerd. <laughs> I've, been bugging, so I've been bugging TJ to get yeah. on the podcast because I actually want to understand what he's looking for. Because you know, in all my travels, like if even if I'm going to the grocery in some obscure country, I want to learn what to look for. I want to learn how to find it. What are the best, what sets it apart? And even if I can get to an, an olive oil you know, plantation or, or farm or whatever they would call uh, call them, uh, I want to know what yeah, to like look Yeah, like the two for. things that I learned the most from reading TJ, like he makes, he does like newsletters, like he has, he has so much information, but the yeah. two things that I, and two things maybe that listeners can learn that are like easy things to remember because he can get really into the weeds is like having sort of, so the dark glass bottle, right? Like do not buy olive oil in plastic, don't or buy it in clear, clear yeah. whatever. Um, so that's important. And then what you touched on, which is if the bottle doesn't have a like harvested on date, don't buy it. Like it needs to be the most important thing about olive oil, it seems, is that it's fresh. Like so much of the olive oil that we're seeing in grocery stores is already two years old, rancid. Like this is not like booze. It's not that it stays good forever if you keep it unopened. Like it will be bad if it's old. So those are the two most important things. And then my other piece of advice would be for people who are buying this fresh pressed olive oil is don't drink as much as Ben does or you will be 400 pounds because you go through like two bottles a week. I go through a lot. Yeah. I, I 
it's so much olive oil. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, this stuff is good enough because they sent me a couple bottles too, which I've tried, and maybe I'll post that on social media because so people can see it because it's it is actually incredible. You can drink it, like you can literally sip it. It's delicious, but that's a very slippery slope to being super fat, super fast, unless you're BPAC. So maybe yeah, just make make it happen. Get TJ on here so we can geek out on all of Yeah, yeah, we got to do that. that. Okay, but in the meantime, just one more time for people listening, we'll put it in the show notes too. It's Get Fresh Thirty Five, and you get a full-size bottle of Ben's favorite olive oil for a buck. So, I mean, that's a pretty good deal. All right. So one thing I want to talk about before we wrap, because we got to talk about fitness, is I get a lot of people asking about squatting. So I made a post mm, two, three weeks ago, me squatting, and I was squatting, I don't know, four plates or something and doing it with relatively great form. And I said, well, I forget exactly what I said, but it was something to the effect of when I was trying to build my legs, I actually stopped squatting. And people said, what do you mean? You're trying to build your leg. Why would you stop squatting? Well, there's a lot of reasons why I stopped squatting and there's a lot of reasons why you should squat. And I want to kind of dig into that for two or three minutes here before we wrap up, knowing me, it'll probably be 10. So squats, do I think you should squat? Do I think they're the best exercise or not? Do I think you should squat? Yes, I do think you should squat. Do I think squats are the best exercise to build quads? No, I do not. Uh, Here's why. So for most people, mechanically, squats don't fit really well, right? So when I say fit really well, it means do I have the stability and mobility and skill, this trilogy, right? You need enough mobility to get into the position. You have to have the skill of moving through it and you have to have the stability to add load. So most people don't have that. So if I don't have the mobility, stability, and skill, well, I can't use squats to build my legs, but I should be aspiring to have the mobility, stability, and skill to do those things. So I think everyone should squat in their routine. It doesn't mean it should be your primary muscle building exercise. There's a number of reasons for that, right? One, most people will squat and something other than their quads will fail before the quads do. So my lower back might fail. My aerobic system might fail. I might get dizzy. My skill might start failing. My ability to keep my knees stable might fail or my hips stable might fail. So all of those things, whichever one stops first is going to end up being the thing that's challenged, right? The only part of your body that's being challenged is the thing that makes you stop. So if it's your focus, if it's your stability, if it's your spinal erectors, if it's your abs, whatever. Well, that's the thing that's reached its kind of tipping point. It's bottleneck. And that's the thing that's going to be trained. So until I can get to the point where squats actually make my quads fatigue first, they're not building my quads. So what do we do? Well, we should use things that are slightly more externally stabilized. And by far the best exercise for quads is going to be a hack squat. Why? Because it's effectively a squat, a full range of motion that's completely externally stabilized from the hip up. I don't think a leg press is even on the list of discussion for best exercises for quads. I think hack squat is far and away much better. I think anyone looking to build a leg should be lunging every single workout, different variations of lunges, because lunges is the single best opportunity, at least I can see, to improve your stability at your hip joint. So single leg uh, movements, particularly lunging or things of the sort, are imperative to improving stability at the hip joints. So if I was building the most perfect leg workout, it would include squats, not as a leg builder, but as a skill acquisition. I would use hack squats as a leg builder in my primary output exercise. I would use lunges every workout, some different variation, as an opportunity to build stability. So you've seen there, I've got something building skill. I've got something building stability. And stability and mobility can't be separated. So if I'm someone trying to improve 
you know, stability or mobility, either or. Those two things go hand in hand. So if I want to improve mobility, I have to improve stability. And if I improve stability, you know, most of the time mobility comes along with it. So that's my explanation. So I don't think that squats are at all the best exercise for building quads for probably 95% of people. Yeah. Not all of us can squat the way you do. Not all of us have the crazy, ridiculous, I don't know what kind of ninja mobility you have. You posted that video on Instagram of you squatting. I'm like, what is even happening? Like, how do you stay that upright? Like, what kind of crazy mobility do you have that none of the rest of us do? Well, it's just practice, right? And it's all pelvic stuff. Yeah. So I do like every workout yeah. and like whether I'm doing chest or back or quads or whatever, I'm doing something mobility oriented between sets. So I, I no longer yeah. sit around and mope like most bodybuilders like I used to. Uh, I sit around and I usually move and try to find some way of loosening something up or activating something that's going to in some way contribute to my ability to, to do work in that workout. So here's my explanation. Your body has three primary hubs of stability, right? You have your shoulder girdle, so your scapula and muscles around it. You have your trunk and spine and you have your pelvic girdle. So you have these three primary hubs of stability. And every time you're in the gym, all three hubs of stability are at play. And if you're lacking stability or mobility at any of those, it's decreasing your ability to access maximum output, maximum range of motion, mobility. So if I find something that isn't stable or it doesn't feel like it's completely locked in or if it feels like it's a little bit shaky between sets, I'm actually going to go right after that thing. So even if I'm training my lower body, if I feel like my scapula is not stable, I'm going to go try to stabilize my scapula. If I'm doing upper body and I feel like my pelvis is unstable, I'm going after my pelvis. And I give you know tons of examples of what particular exercises you should be doing on muscleintelligence.com or mi40nation.com for people to check that out. But always being present in every single rep of every single set to know, well, what's moving and what feels stable and what doesn't. If you don't feel completely immovable during your set, like locked in stone is a term I always use. Well, you're not maximally producing output. You're not maximally producing force with the muscle you're trying to train. So one of the number one skills in exercise is the ability to not move, right? I need to not move my body while I'm training this particular muscle. That's isolation at its core, right? So when you're training, you have, you know, if you're trying to build muscle, you have this combination of isolation, which is this what I'm speaking of here, where nothing else moves. And then you have integration where it's integrating it into, you know, maybe it's a more functional movement pattern or maybe it's something that's slightly more functional. So, you know, I isolate the parts of a system and then I integrate them back into the system because the system is obviously only as strong as the sum of its parts. So that's how I approach training, right? Is if I see one aspect of a system to be lagging behind the others, well, I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to train it in isolation and I'm going to reintegrate it into the system of, of the exercise we're trying to improve. So that's really the simplest way that we look at exercise is you know, this balance of isolation and integration. I think this explanation is useful for people who are both trying to get stronger or bigger, but also the longevity part of it, which I know is something that you talk about a lot now too, because having stability and having single leg stability is an important thing for general health and injury prevention as well. Like I had some ego destroying moments in the gym over the past little while as I've been trying to like undo some of the bad movement patterns that I've had in the past with squatting and do a lot more single leg stuff and realizing that my single leg strength is 
just so abysmal compared to what I thought. Like, you know, I can squat this much weight and I feel good about it. But then I like cut it in half and try to do, you know, like the single leg, whatever. And I'm like, I can't do anything. Like, it's bad. Like my stability and my ability to kind of like stay solid is so bad. And it's really, it hurts. It hurts my feelings, but I'm like, this is what I have to learn to get better and to avoid injury and avoid causing problems later on down the road when I try to like be a hero and squat really heavy and I fall apart because I don't have this foundational stuff. So I think it's worth everybody, not just like, you know, big dudes trying to get huge quads, but anybody who's trying to be sort of more well-rounded and healthy, I think it's important. Thousand percent. Dr. Jordan Shallow always says, if you mm-hmm. can't stand on one leg, you shouldn't squat on two. And I think that's yes. a, you know, a great way to understand the necessity of single leg hip mobility and stability and what it plays, how it plays into two legged squatting. So as just looking at your lunge, you know, looking at the knee path, the path of motion of the knee. What's the stability like at the hip? What's the stability like at the spine? Are you crunching over? Are you allowing your spine to bow? And then paying attention to the path that the knee travels. Is it going over the big toe or the little toe? We want it kind of going over the outside of the foot. And all of that starts mechanically at the feet, right? You have to make sure your feet are in the right position. So anyone wanting to optimize their squat or the lunges, you know, I would suggest highly you go barefoot or at very least, you know, some Vivo barefoots or maybe some Vibrams. And so you can pay attention to how your foot is contacting the ground. So you've got kind of these three points of contact, you've got, you know, the kind of ball of your foot, which is, you know, just inside your big toe. And then you've got the outside ball, which is like inside your baby toe. And those should be an equal contact at the ground. And if you have an arch in your foot, which you should, the inside and the outside will naturally have your foot going kind of leading out a little bit because obviously the bigger ball of your foot is much larger in the middle and smaller on the outside. So there'll be this natural leaning on the outside of your foot that should happen in a squat, provided you have enough arch, which will naturally send the path of the knee out over the baby toe, which is where it should be. Obviously, it's very hard to do that when you're doing a two-legged squat, but doing a one-legged lunge where if it's stationary, you're not doing walking lunges, I can just watch. Like, what's my foot doing? What's my knee doing? And if those two things are in place, then you can start going up the chain and looking at the the pelvis and and the trunk and spine. So anyone listening, if you want to improve your ability to squat, start with single leg variations where you can go slow enough, root yourself into the ground, pay attention to how your feet contact the ground, because that is how everything transfers up the chain. For anybody who, because you get so many of these kind of specific questions, for anybody who wants more information about this, more of your insight about it, or even like programs that relate to this kind of stuff, like is there a specific program you offer that talks about this? Well, yeah, I'm actually releasing um, the all my body part guides, my, my muscle building guides on muscleintelligence.com. The leg one, ironically, is going to be the first one that goes out. So it's going to be quads and calves. That should be up by the time this podcast launches. So if anybody goes to muscleintelligence.com and either the top or somewhere in the bottom of the page, you'll see these body part guides that exist. You can find everything you need to know to build quads and calves, something I may or may not know a little bit about. So you find all this information both in a written document and it's got some accompanying videos that come with it. And there'll also be some workouts available in there as well. So, you know, kind of learning how to acquire this skill is so important. And most people just worry about working hard, which I think is just absolutely silly, right? You wouldn't start a business and work really hard on the wrong things, right? You can come in every day and really scrub the toilets really, really well if you're a business owner. But if you're not working on the things that grow your business, having clean toilets isn't going to help you, right? So learning how to focus on the right things so that you can work hard on the right things. And I think most people just completely miss that point. So check that out. That guide will be out once every week from now over the next five weeks, you'll have a new guide coming out, which is again, fun and exciting. 
Awesome. And we'll make sure that once those things go live, they're all in the show notes. They're going to be in your weekly newsletter that's going out, which people can also subscribe to on muscleintelligence.com. So all the information. We got some really good feedback on last week, right? We got some people saying, God, it's it's about time we started doing something that looked classy (laughs) and neat. Sometimes things just need a little bit of a women's touch. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Sometimes it's Ben's brain dump, right? So (laughs) that's usually what it is, right? It's like, hey guys, if you want Ben's brain dump, go sign up for this newsletter. And it comes out once a week, but now it's going to be just a little bit more curated. And a, a little, little bit, bit more polished. Easier. That's all. The information's all still there. It's just a little bit more easy to absorb. Because I think most people, if they just like walked into your brain, would probably be overwhelmed and terrified and like maybe, I don't know, not know what to do with themselves. So sometimes it needs to be a little bit, the brain just needs to be a little bit more, yeah, curated and polished so people can absorb it. But it's valuable, right? So I think that it's important that you're making that effort to to put that, and it's all free, right? Like, I mean, this is what I tell people. Like, I'm putting out a newsletter. There's so many good newsletters out there. Like, it's free information from people that you trust. Like, why would you not take advantage of that? It's just, it's like a no-brainer to me. Yeah. So if anyone wants to sign up, uh, muslimtellers.com slash podcast, there you can get my 44 success principles and my 30 day success calendar. And you sign up there and you'll be automatically added to that list, or you can go pick up one of our body part guides. And uh, yeah, that's fun. Ash, how are you? I'm good. I'm ready. I'm on my way to Seattle. Um, I've got an event there. I'm going to go check out some new gyms. I mean, really, that's what I do. I travel so that I can work out in new places. That's kind of my thing. And eat, obviously. So if anybody has any suggestions for me, I guess I'll be back from Seattle when this goes out, though. But yeah, that's it. I'm just, you know, working hard, traveling, enjoying my life, reading your success principles, trying to follow them, eat a new vegetable every day. That's it. Right? Sorry, you're eating vegetables. What is it? The, yeah, the vegetable part. I mean, I would like to change it. This is your calendar, right? You're like 30 day calendar. One of them yeah. is eat a new vegetable every day. I would like to amend it to eat a new animal every day. But either way, either way, it's just about opening or your mind. New organ, maybe? Yeah, new part of an animal. I mean, either way, yeah. I think that works. I think that would have been good, actually. So if I would have wrote that now, I'd probably include that, right? Yeah. But back, I wrote that probably six months ago, maybe a year ago now. That would be one thing that may have amended. Uh, the vegetables will still be there because I still think vegetables have a place yeah. just as, as a secondary adjunct to you know a very high quality meat. Again, it's like you have these specific pieces of advice, but I think that you can also take them down to their most base level. And whether it's vegetables or whether it's organ meat or whatever, it's about being open to trying new things to improve your health and the way you look at the world. So you don't have to eat every vegetable. You don't have to eat every weird organ meat that I try to tell you to eat on Instagram. But what you can do is be open to the idea of trying new things that could have a ton of benefit for you that maybe you thought before or wasn't in your wheelhouse or wasn't something that was acceptable for you to try. Like, just be open to it. That's what the whole health life journey is. Just be open to it. Open to new experiences. Wash your beliefs about who you think you are and you start go. to discover. So, Ash, I'm going to end this podcast with Faramanj. I found it. I'm going to let it go oh, yes. right here. Hold it. I'm ready. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.